Okay, I think it's recording now. We'll hope it is. <laughs> um, so, uh, there's not a speaker today, so I'm just going to talk really loud, but I talk really loud anyway, so I think we're going to be okay. Uh, but if at any point in time you're like, I literally can't hear what you're saying, like, just, I don't know, like, plague me down or something, and I'll try to talk louder. Um, so... Aaron and I, for the next three weeks, are going to be talking about the book of Esther, which is not something that, in my memory, we've ever talked about at Bloom. And uh, I think part of it is, or has been in the past, we wanted, we wanted to do the book justice and have like a woman be able to talk about it. Like I know it sounds weird, but I think that was, at least in my mind, that's why I was like, we should talk about this, but we've never really talked about it before. Uh, so that's why uh, Aaron and I are teaming up on it. So I'm going to be talking about the first four chapters of Esther, and then next week she's going to be talking about the last half of Esther, and then we'll get together the first Sunday at Ramsey's to talk about all the like overarching themes and stuff like that in there. Um, I don't know about any of you guys, but I was raised on VeggieTales, so <laughs> my like primary introduction into the story of Esther was through VeggieTales. Have you, who's, see, who's seen the VeggieTales Esther? Yes. Okay. So actually, we were debating. I was debating with my family is here today. I was debating with them this morning, like what, what kind of vegetable even is Esther? Like, <laughs> like I was like I couldn't figure out if she's supposed to be like an asparagus, if she's supposed to be, like a leek. Like I couldn't tell because she definitely was like, she looked different than the rest of the vegetables, probably because she's supposed to be like super beautiful. But we were, we looked it up according to like the VeggieTales Wikipedia. She is in fact a green onion. So if anyone ever is wondering what Esther is, she's a green onion. Um, in preparation for talking about Esther, I did a couple different things. So I, I read the, I read the first four chapters several times. Um, I sat down to talk with, uh, the Jewish woman that I work with to just get her like spin on like the traditions around the story of Esther. And then I, I rewatched VeggieTales Esther because I was like, I gotta like see what, see what was going on with the story. And it was actually, uh, like, it was kind of super funny and, like, nostalgic to watch it. And I was like, I remember, like, laughing about that part as a kid. But then also, like, realizing the whole story of Esther and, like, what was really happening. I'm like, I see what you did there. That's kind of not what happened, but I see why you did it that way because it's a kid's movie. So um, the other thing I found super fascinating in my viewing of VeggieTales Esther is that they, like, they made sure that, like, Esther had, like, a waist, even though she was a vegetable. Like, I was like, this is really, like, weird. <laughs> Um, so it was like, it was a very, uh, it was a bizarre, it was, it was bizarre to view it as an adult. So, um, it's going to be really hard for me to not talk about the themes that, uh, Aaron and I want to talk about. So I'm going to like, probably like, just kind of like dog ear some things that we're probably going to talk about in more depth as we go along. Um, but like, there's like a couple things that I'm going to touch on. A lot of today is going to be... Uh, a little bit about like the history of the book, but also like where um, we're going to talk about a lot uh, how it was included in the canon and all of that on uh, the visit or when Aaron and I are doing it together, because uh, it's very it's a very interesting book. Um, so it was it was written uh, and it all took place about they're they're saying it's about five to six hundred years before Jesus was born. Um, so like how, well that would be like in relation to us that's like, like in our time, five to 600 years ago was when Da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. So like that's like, a, like to give you like a span of time for how close Jesus falls to the story of Esther, 
that's kind of where we're at. Um, everything leading up to Esther, we've got like the story of uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar who like takes all of the Israelites away from Israel and now they're all in Persia and that's where Esther takes place. So uh, the story of Esther is about, in part, about refugees because they're, they're not in their own land and they are uh, they're kind of there at command of the king. Um, the first chapter of Esther opens up uh, as kind of like a setup to like why is Esther in this situation and did you okay so like I normally don't read before like I show up for Bloom like I, I won't I'll, you know, so did any of you guys read the first four chapters as like a like I'm gonna read like it's totally cool if no one did like that's fine I, that's what I'm going in that was what I was expecting so we'll just go into this like I'm gonna tell the whole story so uh, the very first chapter of Esther talks about the king um, and he goes by a bunch of different names depending on the translation you're in. Um, the uh, like traditional, uh, the Torah version of it has the name, it's like Ashurtas, something like that. Like that's what it looks like. And it's actually the same. That's actually the same name that the the voice translation uses. Uh, but a lot of translations of the Bible talk about uh, King Xerxes um, because that's where historians think it was either Xerxes or his son Artaxerxes that was part of the Esther story. So King Xerxes, because we'll, we'll call him that because that's what like. It's easier to say than that other name, and because that's what most translations say. So King Xerxes is throwing this huge party for Persia, and he's got like all of his like his main guys there. Like they're they're throwing a big party, and it goes like seven days, and they're all drunk. It's like basically the Minnesota State Fair, but like probably a little bit more debaucherous, I'm guessing. So. They're all, they're all drunk, and the king is like, hey, like, you guys got to see my queen. Like, I'm going to call her, and she needs to come and, like, present herself to all of you. So he sends, he sends this messenger to the queen and is like, you need to come, like, dance before everybody because I want everyone to see how hot you are. And she's like, I'm, I'm not doing that. And he, he gets super ticked off um, because – like the expectation is if he asks her to do something, she's supposed to do it because she's the queen. And because she won't be this like sexual object for their like big party, she is banished from the kingdom. Like in my mind too, before I like read it again, I was like, I can't remember. Like in the VeggieTales version, she's banished. And she's banished, she's banished because she won't make him a sandwich, which is a really interesting like, <laughs> which is a really interesting like correlation to uh, like, in the original story, like, she's used as a sexual object, and they're, like, using it in, like, a sexist way, like, woman make me a sandwich, and she gets kicked out of the kingdom. So I was, like, interesting way to, like, tie that in there, but in my mind, I was, like, does she get kicked out or is she executed? I couldn't remember. And in every version I read, she was kicked out. So in my mind, she's kicked out. So she gets kicked out of her kingdom, and that wasn't enough. They're, like, okay, we got we to, gotta, like, restore order because uh, if the queen doesn't have to listen to the king – then wives are not going to listen to their husbands, and, like, that's going to be a problem. So we need to, like, restore the order. So we're going to send out a decree to all of Persia saying, like, men are supposed to be the highest in the house. Women are supposed to honor their husbands. And uh, it doesn't matter if your wife speaks a, a different language than you. Like, your language is supposed to be, like, the head of the house. Uh, and so only your language matters. So, like, they're to the point of being, like, it doesn't matter if your wife speaks a different language than you. You're in charge, so, like, whatever you say goes. Um, this is a very excellent biblical uh, example of fragile masculinity where we, uh, all the men get together and they decide like, 
we need to be respected, so like all the women have to follow what we say. Um, in preparation and research for the concept of fragile masculinity, I found a BuzzFeed article that was just documenting all of the uh, marketing that kind of caters to fragile masculinity. So what fragile masculinity is, is like, okay, um, it's, we need to have a, a something attached to make us feel like uh, we're a man about the situation. So like, like they're like selling like man candles, like, cause you know, like you can't, you can't, you can't have a penis and enjoy the smell of a candle. Like you have to have a, you have to have a man candle. Otherwise you're, you're not as masculine. Or there was like, um, like these like man bath bombs that look like hand grenades. Like, and like, that's what, that's what makes it like, if, yeah, I mean, you're like, we all like the smell of lavender, but if it doesn't look like a grenade, are you really a man? So like, it was just like, I just thought it was really interesting that there's this whole uh, side to the Esther story that's all about men who are, they're fragile. Like, and if their, if their way doesn't go, then like the, everything falls apart. Uh, and, and that comes up again in Haman and we'll get, we'll get to that as we go along. So all the fragile men decide to get together and create this new law. And they say, well, you got, you got rid of the old queen. Like you banished her because she didn't listen to you. So we need to get a new queen in place. So I guess if everyone's like of a certain age, they all have to be round up. Like every woman who is in the kingdom has to be round up and then you get to pick which one is the queen. Uh, and how that's gonna work is you, uh, you're gonna spend a night with all of them and then you get to choose who's queen. So it's like a really uh, like messed up like version of The Bachelor. And uh, the, uh, um, well, I guess it's probably even more extreme than that. So I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, what's happening is every, every woman in the kingdom has to be a part of the king's like harem, basically. Like they're all, every woman is now his concubine and he gets to decide which one is the queen. They're all, I mean, every woman is raped by the king and then he decides which one is the best one. Like that's where we're at. And the way that the Veggie Tales story dealt with it was much classier because uh, the way that that was dealt with was there was like a, it was like a talent show and uh, all they had to do was sing and one like woman like played an accordion and she was clearly weird so <laughs> the king wasn't going to choose her. So that's how, that's how VeggieTales dealt with like the whole like rounding up all the women and they have to be raped and chosen by the king and said it's a talent show which is probably much more appropriate for children. So there is a young woman uh, by the name of Hadassah. And uh, we we call her Esther. That's like her. Um, I don't know if that's her. I don't want to say her white name, but I don't know if that's like the English version of her name, or I don't know. I'm not entirely sure where the translation from Hadassah to Esther comes into play. But her like birth name is Hadassah. She's known as Queen. She winds up being Queen Esther. Um, so there's this there's this woman who is rounded up as part of this. Um, she's brought in. And she has to be pre prepared for a year before she can go see the king. So she's rounded up, brought to the harem with everyone, and they have like a year of treatments to make them like king worthy, I guess. Um, and she's she's Jewish, and in this transition, she has to basically adapt her whole way of life. So this is something that, like I as an adult, had never considered the fact that like Esther was she's living in an entirely different culture than her own. Like she was Jewish, but she had to go live. She was forced to live in Persia and now she's forced to be part of like the king's concubines. And what my friend who's Jewish brought up that I was like, I never really even thought of that was that uh, 
what they what they assume about Esther is that she became a vegetarian because she wanted to remain kosher, but like she knew what was going on in the castle. She knew that she was gonna have to eat meat and stuff. Mhm. Yeah. [laughs] Or go back to the Kalibo cage. Yeah. [laughs] Or whatever. They had a place, you know, they had a place of, like, things for her to do and like [noise] she wants to still practice her religion and still have her culture and still in order to [noise] make sure she's safe she becomes a vegetarian. Um The other thing that I think really interesting about Esther that I didn't really think about before is in my mind I always pictured her I mean, when I wasn't picturing her as a green onion, I pictured her as a [laughs] um as like a very like well-adapted Yeah. probably like in her thirties, like, woman but, like, she's probably a teenager, realistically. Like, she wasn't gonna be like, we don't know, but uh it's likely that she was probably a very young woman who was probably not well-adjusted and had like like years of life experience, so it's like a teenager vegetarian teenager in [laughs] a palace waiting to be raised by the king. Like, that's the setup for Esther. [laughs] [laughs] Esther has an uncle Uh, cuz her parents died. And she's raised by her uncle, and his name is Mordecai and, um he is supposed to be a very learned man. Like, he, uh, according to my newspeak, he knows over he knew over seventy languages, which I don't even like, I don't even know how that's possible, but that's cool. So he's supposed to be a very uh learned man, and he uh he kinda tries to advise Esther and help her out in this situation. So then in the next chapter we're getting into, like, chapter three enters the character of Haman and Haman is an Agagite. Um, and what an Agagite is is a it's a descendant of Agon. And we're gonna talk about that uh pretty significantly in the last week because the story of Esther is actually a resolution to uh, it's almost like a cosmic battle. Like, King Saul was supposed to kill another King Aegon, and he didn't and Haman is a descendant of Agon. So that's how he like, there's, like, an overarching cosmic story and we'll talk about that more like, later on. Um But so Haman is an Agagite and he is really high up in the king's command and uh he's, like, in uh almost like an advisor to the king and the king likes him so much that he makes this decree that you know, everyone should everyone has to worship Haman. Uh, like, Haman's supposed to be like, everyone's supposed to bow down when Haman walks through the streets and Mordecai, who's a Jew, is not on board with that because in his mind I'm only supposed to bow before my god and my king. So when Haman's, like, going for a stroll and um he sees Mordecai and Mordecai will not bow before him and he tells him, like, I I only bow before my god and my king. And Haman loses it. Like, his literal fragile masculinity can't handle the fact that there's this one guy out there who won't bow down to him so he's, like, he's obsessing over it. He's really mad that this one guy won't bow down to him so he's, like, I can't just get rid of this one guy. Like, that's not enough, like, I have to literally like, his whole culture has to be wiped out. I have to kill all the Jews. Like, that's the only way that I'm gonna be okay. Yeah. Which is like, pretty extreme. Like, to say that, you know, I'm mad tha- that this one person so literally the entire group of people is now bad and they all have to be killed. Like, that's really the only logical explanation. So he goes before the king and he's like, "Hey, there's these people that are among us. They're foreigners in our land and we don't we don't want them here. Like, they shouldn't be here. We need to we need to protect our people and we need to get rid of them. Like, that's the only solution." [laughs] "We have to get rid of the strangers among us." And um the king 
goes along with it and it's like sure, like I'm gonna sign over a decree that on this day of this month, of this year, everyone is free to kill any Jew that they see and take their stuff. Like that's totally fine. I'm good with that. So the king signs off on that. Both of them seem like just upstanding gentlemen and they put this law into action. So luckily there's like, there's enough, there's a, there's a space of time where all, and part of the reason is they want the word to get out. They want everyone to know like, okay, when the clock strikes midnight on this day, we're going to kill all the Jews. So let's get the word out. Let's send it out to everyone. So obviously Mordecai hears about this uh, and starts, he's like a, he's like a group leader basically. And he starts um, spreading the word like this is going to happen. We need to, uh, we need to get ready for this. So he starts wearing sackcloth, uh, which is like really uncomfortable clothes. And he puts ashes on his head and is in mourning. And he's like, we need to all fast. We need to figure out a way that we're going to get ourselves out of this. We need to pray. And he, uh, Esther, who's now, um, she's, I, I don't know how I skipped over this, but she becomes queen. She gets raped by the king and he's like, you're a-okay, you're my new queen. So Esther is now the queen and hears about Mordecai mourning everything that's happening and she sends out a messenger to say like hey what's going on and Mordecai tells him you know all of our people are now in in danger the king has issued this decree that says we're all going to be killed on this day at this time because we're Jews and he tells her like don't think that just because you're in the palace that you're going to be exempt from this Um, you need to keep your you need to keep the fact that you're Jewish a secret and you have to do something about it. Like, you are the king's favorite. You you were named queen. You have to go before the king and prevent this from happening. And that's really where chapter four stops. So, like, the rest of it's all on Aaron. So I'm just, I get to set it all up, and Aaron gets to, like, <laughs> knock it out of the park. So this is the, like, lead-up story to what happens in Esther. Um... I'm going to, like, summarize it and then talk about one specific verse that uh, a lot of people quote from Esther that is very interesting to me. So to summarize it up, we've got a group of refugees in Persia that um, all of the women are rounded up by a ruthless leader, and they are to be uh, basically raped one by one until he decides one of them is going to be his queen. Uh, the girl who is chosen in this situation is likely a teenage girl who's not well adjusted. So we're talking stranger in a strange land who has to have sex with the king and then get winds up being made queen. Uh, and the last queen, by the way, was kicked out of the country because she wouldn't do what the king wanted. So it's probably not like a position anyone really wants to be in. And then Mordecai has the balls to say to her, um, maybe like you're here for a reason. Maybe you were put here for such a time as this. Like, if that was my uncle and I was, like, a 15-year-old girl who, like, got sucked into this situation, I would not be, like, thrilled about the fact that you were telling me maybe God wants you to be in this situation. Like, maybe this is going to be a good thing for all of us. Like, that's the setup to Esther. It's not like she has some, like, peaceful existence where, guess what, now I'm a queen and everything's great. Like, the last queen was kicked out because she didn't do what the king wanted. So now she... This young girl has to go before the king and ask that something be changed. By the way, if she goes before the king uninvited, she could be executed. But somehow she's got to put this all together. That's to summarize chapters 1 through 4. 
that verse that a lot of people quote is uh, Sonimal and the very end of chapter 4, and it's um, maybe you were here for such a time as this. And uh, I don't know why, like as a, as a kid or even as an adult, like I never really thought about how crappy Esther's situation was. Like I got the idea that like God could use her in her situation, but I never thought about the fact that everything that was going on around her was like not great. Um, and I think that well, I guess what I'm going to take away from this, this first like four chapters is um, I don't, I definitely don't believe that God makes bad things happen to us or uh, I don't even know if it has to do with the allows it or anything like that. But I do think that part of the message of the story of Esther is that God will take our circumstances and he can use them to better uh, the lives of those around of us to better history really. Um, so I guess what I want you guys to take away from this is even when we're in situations that are out of our control, that are terrible, that um, feel life-threatening, that feel horrible, uh, I'm not saying that God puts us in these situations, and I don't think that's what the Bible says either, but I think what it's saying is God will take, will take this mess, will take this messy life that we're in, and he can use the mess around us for good. Um, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we can discuss. Uh, Jesus, I ask that you would, that you would continue to show us uh, the things that you have to teach us uh, in the Bible, and that you would, that you would help us to um, realize uh, how you can make our situations better, uh, even when it, even when everything feels like it's falling apart. Um, I ask that you would bless this conversation, that you would give us uh, wisdom. And that you give me wisdom to, to lead us in the right direction. In your name, amen. Um, usually for discussion questions, we talk about.